Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. You're scribbling down something. No, you know, and it's like, you know, like you got to do um, like laundry and stuff like that. And you, it's just stuff in my brain. Why are you writing down your laundry now, laundry now? Because I'll forget to do it after the podcast. I'll be like, oh, what was on my mind before? And it'll be gone. My brain's like that. Well, get a wriggle on. You ready? Yeah, Come I'm on, ready. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast on Ringer SC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am good, thanks man. How are you? Very well indeed. A weekend of wall-to-wall, end-to-end, back-to-back football. Great. Oh, also, yeah, happy birthday, Zan. Went to Zan's birthday. Stadio oh, nice. Listener, based in Berlin, yeah. yeah. Yes, happy, happy birthday, birthday Zan. Zan. And just a great, yeah, great weekend of football viewing. It's basically most of what I did. That's some good I'm football saying. this weekend, man. Very good, very good. Which is quite handy because yes. uh, we do a football podcast, so we can talk we about it. We do indeed. What are the chances? Where business is pleasure. You could say that, yes. Yes, yes. We hope everyone's staying safe and well. Getting vaccinated if you can, obviously. Getting that boost if you can. Some admin quick. Wright's house this week. You'll be on Wright's house with Ian and special guest, Arsenal's Leah Williamson. Very much looking forward. That'd be great. And you're also going to do WSL and some FA Cup chat on that because we can't give Boreham Road another mention on here. So we have to save it for <laughs> Wright's house. Incredible though. Shout out to them. But what a weekend of FA Cup stuff. It was wild. Nottingham Forest as well. Unreal. Yep, yep. Gave them that work. Gave less to that wow, work. Wow, wow, wow. But yeah, we'll save that for Wrighty's house. Um, TheRinger.com forward slash soccer for all your footballing needs on The Ringer. Sadio Archer's playlist on Spotify if you want to listen to all the music we play on each episode. And if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to write and review, please do so. It would be very kind indeed. So today we are going to talk about three wonderful games of football. And then do a quick roundup. We're going to be talking about the African Cup of Nations final. Senegal winning their first ever AFCON. We're going to talk about the Milan derby. The derby della Madonnina, which was brilliant. And full of some great quotes after the game. <laughs> and we'll talk about Barcelona Atleti because this was a game that none of us realised we needed quite as much as we did until it happened. Unbelievable. And we are thankful. Praise be the soccer gods. <laughs> <laughs> they really delivered. 
They really did. And we'll do a quick roundup of just some other stuff. A little bit of Bundesliga, Women's Asian Cup final and some other stuff. So yeah, let's get into it after this. Senegal victorious over Egypt in the African yes. Cup of Nations final. My goodness. To win their first ever AFCON. They are champions of Africa. Which is huge. It's just like, I don't even, I don't know why I feel like I need to say that it's huge. I think it's, do you know I think I need to say it? It's because if you're in a Champions League, like, well, I suppose you have the World Cup straight after, right? So it's hard to get that, that time off for that breather. There's just a little moment. There's a bit of a period of grace. Let's say at the end of like, so at the end of a major international tournament, sorry, you get that time off, right? Mm. A major international tournament, you get like a few weeks just to bask in it. You win an AFCON and you're like back in training in a few days. So I feel like you're not given the time to really enjoy the scale of this achievement. But if you look at how close the AFCON finals typically are, like how often they go to penalties, throughout, you know, over the years, this is a fixture that is extremely tight, generally speaking. And a part of that is because of the extreme pressure, right? Mm. What it means to these generations of players. And it's funny because it's, it's every two years, AFCON, but it's one of those strange tournaments where it's so intense that every two years, in a strange way, it feels like every four. Because if you think of all the, if you think of people like Didier Drogba, I don't think he ever won it. Drogba, certain players, like elite players that play every two years and still haven't won the AFCON. Mm-hmm. It's really an extraordinary thing. So I also think with this tournament um, victory, it was the culmination of a journey, I would say, for the coach, Aliou Sisse. That's what I want to mention first, because he obviously played in that great team, 2002, a team that was amazing. That went that deep was their first in the, final. Yeah, went and also went deep in the World Cup that Beat same France. year. Lost two of the key players, uh, well, the key people involved, Bruno Metzo, the coach, the great coach, um, passed away, and um, Papa de Bouba Diop, who scored the winner against France. So this is almost like, this is very much a victory for not only the current, but the ancestors, right? It's a very, it's like a, it's a spiritually nourishing victory in a way that I didn't fully realise until I started like looking back over the law, what Senegal has brought to world football. If you think what they've done, their legacy, Mm-hmm. You know, like Poch, you know, Poch, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trivial example, so I apologise for making the comparison in advance. But you know how Pochettino Spurs did so much for that era of Premier League football, mm. but because they didn't get a defining trophy, a lot of people will look back and understate what they did. Senegal established, Senegal as a, as a footballing force, you know, they, they emerged from the non-traditional pack. If you look at like a lot of those big African nations, right, in terms of sporting nations, and Cameroon was selling, Cameroon bursting through as well. But you had Nigeria, you had Egypt, and people could say, oh yeah, well, you know, how can we replicate that? We don't have a big population, right? And the way that like, you know, you look at Cote d'Ivoire and Senegal bursting through, it went to show you don't have to have an enormous population, right? Mm. You, can, you can have a population the size of like a metropolitan city in some countries, but with great organization, academies, and a, and a vision, this is the key. If you look at how Senegal have played over the time, if you've got a unified vision, Senegal have basically achieved the same thing that countries with far more resources, you look at France, you look at um, Spain, you know how Spain and France have like 20-year coaching cycles and mm-hmm. they win something big. Senegal have effectively achieved that with less, but with, I would argue, even a greater unified vision. And also I want to say as well, I know we're going a bit of a rant here, but it's not a rant, a bit of a soliloquy, but it's just 
What's so moving about this is the personal stories and the dignity with which individual players in the squad have conducted themselves. Mm. I know humility is a u- overused word in sport and the bar is low, as we said before, in relation to other contexts, but you know, humility in football, the type displayed by not only Sadio Mane, who's the star here to an extent, be like Kaladu Koulibaly, yeah. right? This, feel, this feels like from the coaching staff to the pitch and Mendy as well in goal, this is a squad of ambassadors, right? In the best and proudest sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this, this is why I'm, I'm so joyful about this, this win today. Do you know, I've got to say, shout out to the sporting gestures at the end of the uh, game. Mm. Koulibaly went over to one of the Egypt players and just talked to him for ages. Like for ages, not like a kind of yeah. like, you know, pat on the back and like, like a proper like in-depth, how are you doing, checking in with you, even though your head at that point is just swimming with the horror of the defeat. Yeah, there was a lot of like uncomfortable, uh, you, we'll talk, maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit because I want to, yeah, I don't want to go yeah. into the fucking infantile we'll shit. We'll get into that after shit. shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, but to be honest, like, but before we do go on, like I'll throw a little, throw a little bone out there. Like when Infantino rocked up, they brought him out onto the pitch. It was kind of like, you know, when you're at a party or something like that and someone, there's always like one person, especially when you were younger, there would always be one person that rocked up and you're just like, oh, this vibe's gone now. <laughs> like that is what Infantino is. When Infantino rocks up anywhere, vibes dip by at least 63%. <laughs> Expected vibes go right down. Right down. It's like, I was just like, fuck, why is this guy here? Man? I mean, I know why he's here because obviously, you know, he's the big dog. Do you know what's so funny? I visualised I visualised the two Infantinos that I've known, one from my first job when I worked in London, one from uni. And you know the funny thing is, they look like the same person. Do you know what? Do you know what? I might Infantino's go on. I might go, on the same. I might go on Urban Dictionary after we've recorded and put in an entry for Infantino, which is just like that dude who comes to the party where the vibes, and then the vibes just yeah. go right down. And then you know the quote, be like, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, oh my God, that guy's such an Infantino. Infantino, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Aliusise. Yes. I know you mentioned him a little bit before. Yeah. The reason I want to talk about him is because he was, as you mentioned, and as we mentioned on the last podcast, he was the captain of the side that got to their first ever final in 2002. Managed the side to their second ever final two years ago and was the first coach to bring the AFCON trophy back to Senegal. I think Ali Cissé just deserves a huge amount of credit because this is a golden generation of Senegalese football. Yes. People have been saying this for a long, long time. However, I've lost count of how many times we've seen national sides develop golden generations. Yes. And while, while some people may say, well, you know, it's quite easy to coach with that talent. It's actually not at international level because no. the difference between coaching a golden generation at international level as opposed to club level is that you have multiple places to win at club level every year. Mm. You have way more opportunities to actually develop and you have way more time together as a squad. Mm. At international level, every opportunity is so small and every window to succeed is so small. The pressure, especially on a side that has come so close twice, Mm. before the tournament was what, one of only six nations who were qualified who hadn't won AFCON? Wow. Just his demeanour and I'm going to use that word vibe again, like the vibe that he gives off as a coach, I actually find quite unique among coaches. He has like a real aura about him. I find him like a cross between Hansi Flick and Franz Beckenbauer. That sounds like a super weird thing to say, but why I mention that is because 
the way that he centers the players in the celebration, mm. right? Like they had to drag, they had to drag that man into the photo. They had to drag him into the photo, mm. but also Beckenbauer in terms of, you know, also a defender, but someone who played and captained and then rose through the kind of administration. So knows it from a coach's perspective and a player's perspective and knows what players need. Flick is very much kind of, you know, that, that what's that, that, that Game of Thrones book, like a song of ice and fire. Like that is actually quite a Flick thing. Flick is like, he is ice and fire. He's very chill when he needs to be, but also he can get like, what's that time they were beating Schalke? They were just, Bayern were destroying Schalke and they were like four or five up. And he was angry because it wasn't six or seven. Cisse has that as well. Cisse can get like edgy if he needs. It's a very special um, place that he occupies. And when you talk about pressure, I will say this, and it's always hard to kind of look at a player's psychological state on a pitch. There were a couple of miss-hit crosses in the final and a couple of bits of awkward movement in the final where you looked at Senegal and thought, wow, this is like, this is brutal. Mm. You know, when you see sort of certain stiffness of movement with players or whatever and... Yeah, but I, do you think that's also just like the, 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 the kind of, sorry to cut in, but like mm. when... I don't know what the exact stat is, but it's something like Egypt have never, ever conceded the goal ever. Ever. Yeah, it's something ever, that ever, ridiculous. Ever, yeah, ever, Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. actually, if you look through the, the international records through the dawn of time, Egypt have never conceded a goal ever. It's a clean sheet. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely, the sheets are completely <laughs> clean. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. and then when you miss the penalty early on, what if the penalty save, you think, shit. You knew. When you've, you knew, when you've you gone did, through, you when did. you've had two finals where you've been defeated, mm. and then you go up against the side who have won it more than any other country in Africa and are a clean sheet machine. You've seen it so many times in like, say for example, when uh, sides come up against quote unquote, the dominant force in league campaigns, yes. even if they're big sides, but they haven't had the wins yet before that first step. Yes. It can really derail you and they deserve real credit for taking it all the way because it would have been so easy for that side to just be like, ah oh, shit, that was our chance. We're done. Yes. The reason I'm slightly critical is because if Senegal's ability to cut across their man at the near post or far post was the equivalent of their build-up play, it would have been mm. two or three nil. But there was True. a tentativeness when crashing the box. It's a slight yeah. hesitancy. You know when you don't crash a striker, you crash the box when you're like, the ball is going no further than me. You only don't do it. If the ball's going to six yard box, you don't go in because you're holding back because you're thinking the ball might be recycled across back in. It's the only reason you don't fully commit to it because you're like, okay, we don't. And there was a slight tentative. We saw three or four occasions where the ball was crossed across, particularly Ismail Assar, who was mind-blowing. So mm. good. And you saw Senegal players sort of holding back from fully committing to, and I, I said this, I said this before when like Wrighty's house, like, you know, never ask destiny for permission. I was only half joking when I said it. What I meant was like, when you go for that ball on the six-yard box, you have to do it as if you're going to end up in the net. Mm. You know, those goals where like, the person's almost got like marks on their forehead from the net. You need to anticipate getting that on you because that's in where you break down Egypt. And you know, the penalty miss, I love that you mentioned that because I really felt like that was the sliding doors moment. Yeah, I did. That had gone in. I'm thinking that's two nil at half time and Egypt aren't coming back because that team did not, Egypt did not have two, did not have two goals in them. With all the respect no. in the world, they didn't have two goals in open play. And I really think that one nil then, especially what was being done on the left flank, it was like, you know, the switch Koulibaly on that switch, the only other player that is playing that switch like that, you look at like, you know, PK or Danny Alves, that's the level of like switch he was putting on. Mm. And it was brutal, the isolation they were putting on the centre-back. It was something that actually happened sort of the weekend as well in, in the Barca-Aleti game. Centre-back being drawn out, actually happened to PK, centre-back being drawn out into space and isolated and just 
brute, you know, brutal, the winger coming in and cutting. Um, but they kind of solved that problem after the penalty was saved by Gabaski, who was mm. a titan, frankly. And Gabaski was looking as scary as Schillivert for Paraguay in that goal. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he got awarded the man of the match or the thirstiest player of the tournament award afterwards. Can I say, yeah, we, I'm glad you said bit, that because the, the, the timeline, everyone, uh, everyone was thirsty on Maine. The masks, listen, Gabaski, listen. the mask slipped, Ryan. We're not going to name names because, you know, our parents raised us better than that. You know who you are. Listen. Anyone listening to this who's slightly blushing right now, we got you. We saw you. We got you. Everyone was hearts thirsty were, on Maine, man. Hearts were a quiver. Hearts were a quiver. Can I say this as well? When Gabaski, God bless him, like he gave this, um, he was interviewed post-match. Oh, and just God, almost, that was oh, horrible. I mean, they put a mic under his nose and they're like, oh, what does let it feel him, like? Let, to- like, let him be. Devastated. Leave him alone for a bit. The man's from a country of like tens of millions of people and he's lost like, like that. And he's a second choice keeper. He wasn't even, he hadn't played in 10 years for Egypt until Mad. Um, the main he's player got, got injured. Caps, against, right? it's, it's wild. And he was astonishing, right? So he was devastated. But I remember thinking, there are millions of people on Twitter alone who would very happily offer a comforting hug to this man. Oh yeah. Interesting. We seem to follow a lot of them. We do, we do. They know who they are. We're not going to name names, but they know who they you are. Know. You all know. <laughs> he was outstanding though. I've got to, he can was, I say this as was... well about him? The thing that makes um, Gabaski so interesting as a goalkeeper in his presence, Donnarumma too, not just he's, you know, he's tall, it's that you know that when he dives, and this is maybe like looking at the Sadio Mane miss in a different context of the penalty save, you know he's going to get a hand to the ball in mm. the corner. You mm. know he'll get a hand to the ball in the corner. Like it's just a guarantee. So Mane going down the middle is the knowledge that if you go to the corner, it's got to be in the side netting and you're better off going in the middle. And the funny thing with the penalty save is it's right down the middle and maybe slightly too low, but Gabaski gets a hand back across to it. Yeah. Like it's actually a very good save too, because he's slightly yeah. forward of the line. He, he leaves the line as, as late, as late as he's allowed to, because he doesn't want to encroach, but he kind of throws himself slightly forward into the corner, which is clever because it narrows the angle the second Mane hits it. Yeah, basically, I think that he's, he's a really good, well, from the limited amount I've seen of it, I'm not going to pretend that I've seen loads of him before the tournament, but from, from this tournament, in terms of his general goalkeeping, it's yes. like a commitment and it's strong. It's almost like, I think of the, um, like the goalkeeping equivalent, it's not the same movement, but like a long barrier in cricket. It's like you commit, it's there, there's yes. nothing going through that. You know what I mean? Brilliant, brilliant, um, brilliant example. Whereas some yeah. keepers, like for example, if you look at, we'll talk about it a little bit more on Wrighty's house, but the penalty shootout between Manchester United and Middlesbrough on Friday, both Dean mm. Henderson and Joe Lumley guessed correctly on a number of the penalties, right. <clears throat> but their body shape was all wrong. So interesting. A couple of the poorer penalties, which squeezed in underneath them, were a little bit because their body shape didn't seem to be And the footwork optimal. wasn't there either. The footwork, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the, like the ones he saved in the shootout and the, and the Mane one, like Gabaski was just like strong, decisive, and like solid, and and that I think it was is is a really good thing for a penalty for a penalty stopper. You know? There was one actually the funny one that Dieng scores. Dieng gave him the most trouble in the entire game. Incredible strike late on that forced him into a good save in extra time, and then the penalty and his penalty, he clattered into the top corner, and I was like, this man should have taken all five penalties. <laughs> <laughs> We need to give props to Sadio Mane for his penalty to win it because I think that was like the guts, that Ryan. takes that takes something, man. After missing, Ryan. Like, to achieve, I mean, like you missed a penalty in the opening stages of the game. You're taking the penalty 
that will secure your country's first ever Afghan. And actually, that's My slightly more goodness. fun. And exactly. And just before we go further on that, and the just pressure on him individually because he is like the figurehead of this side. And what had happened prior to that, the first penalty, which we have to talk about very briefly, the fact that like he gets the penalty and then Mo Salah goes over and there's some oh, chat. Yeah. Mo Salah and Gabaski are talking and there's like, it was apparently going like, you know, where this penalty is going to go, what you should do with it. He's talking. And then like you see Sadio Mane gesturing. You see him gesturing. You don't know what they're, being, what they're saying, but there's something that's happening in some direction. Mm. And of course the penalty gets saved. And I'm thinking to myself, see, look, everyone knows it's just countries. It's just chat. But like in the heat of the moment, that is, if you think of the context, how often in major finals, Ryan, have you seen someone? We didn't, we, for example, we didn't look at, look at Zidane, right? We didn't see it with uh, France, um, France, Italy, 2006. We didn't see a moment like that. You think mm-hmm. of big penalties in, fi- in, in, um, in finals, semifinals, whatever. It's very rare to see someone go over and like chat like that. Yeah. Like interfere. It was a big move. It was like, it was quite a sort of, I mean, I wonder what the implications of that would be. I'm sure they're professionals, but still part of me thought this is high stakes poker. So for Sadio Mane to be kind of, it seemed like that was an element in his thinking. Um, you can never quite tell, but it felt like that was something that affected the, the taking the penalty. It felt like that. For him to go and do what he did in the shootout and the where he put the penalty, he put it to the corner where Gabaski had dived for him before. Mm. So he put it where Gabaski was maybe expecting to put it, right? And Gabaski got, you look at that again, he got a very good dive on that. He put it in the only place Gabaski could not reach it. And the funny thing is, it's one of those penalties where his, his gloves were probably only a couple of inches away from the ball, but he was nowhere near it. Like that ball traveled at the speed of destiny. That's what it did. It was a different level of, you saw him almost grow through the game, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, it was so weird that by the time he came to penalty shootout, he'd created so much as part of the Senegal attack. You know, of course, we mentioned Ismail Assar was superb too, in particular. Senegal had created so much that you were like, wow, they have really put this behind them, actually. Yeah. Like they've really, you know, you don't often see that in major games. And this is one of the few reasons. I mean, I kind of thought, I'm not going to lie, I did think Egypt would still take on penalties only because it felt like it was destined for Egypt's way. But what I also thought was, if Egypt do with us on penalties, Senegal cannot look at themselves and go, we stopped playing football. Like they kept playing their game. And I said this about the tap-ins, the near post. Well, that was also very good Egyptian defending as well. I've got to be honest. Like, but I remember thinking, <clears throat> if you lose this, I can't say that you threw it away. No. If that makes sense. Like they, they, yeah. they, they stuck to the plan. With Ali Sisse. This comes from Usha Komagisha, a small Parisian suburb called champagne sur Around, which is around 12 kilometers to the southeast of central Paris, has now produced back-to-back AFCON winning coaches. First one was Jamal Balmadi, who w- was born there and raised there. He won it with Algeria in 2019. And Alou moved there from Senegal, age nine, and grew up there in that suburb. And the cool thing is, which the great Franklin Leonard pointed out, was that they were born a day apart. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, props again to Senegal, props to Alou Cissé, thoroughly deserved. And I think that, you know, you know, commiserations to any Egyptian listeners that we've got. Forgive us for feeling absolutely delighted for Mr. Cissé and that Senegalese squad and all the Senegal fans out there. Because Also, he never won a major trophy. He never won a major trophy no. as a player. He was a runner-up. Mm-hmm. He never won a major trophy yeah. in any club he was at. So wonderful for him. Just wonderful. scenes, absolute scenes. 
Oh, we didn't talk about Infantino, but fuck it. He came with big colonialist energy and that was weird at the end. I didn't someone, like that. Someone, someone, actually, someone said there was a moment, very quickly, we have to just, this is, um, so the Afghan Cup of Nations, the actual trophy, bizarrely, was being carried away from the pitch up towards the dignitaries in the box. And could have badly, and the idea was, the idea was to go up to the crowd, go up to the sort of the dignitaries and get it there. It was all a bit of a mess. And I was like, I looked at it and I was like, this feels like sort of, you know, big colonial energy. And Kulabali basically went, took it down back to his players and they celebrated there, which was brilliant. It's a real act, a captain's act. And someone wrote to me, Nick Martin wrote to me on Twitter at Bankshi Shrill and said, this trophy presentation got so ridiculous that at one point I felt sure the trophy was en route to the British Museum. <laughs> and on that note, let's take a break. Let's go to Milan. Let's do it. Did you see the quote from Simone and Gonzaga after the game? I didn't know. The result is a lie. <laughs> what a quote. Into losing 2 1 to Milan in a pivotal Derby della Maddonina. Really, absolutely was. If Inter won this, they would have had a six-point lead and a game in hand over Milan. And their direction of travel as well in terms of how they've been playing. Oh, I apologise. They would have had a seven-point lead over Milan with a game in hand and they would have had a four-point lead over Napoli. And to be honest, Milan did absolutely nothing for the first half. Hot <laughs> shot from Sandro Tonali, yeah. from distance that he may as well not have had. It was kind of felt like stat padding. One shot on target. It wasn't even on target, I don't think. And then there was, was a, a nice, similar it was one. A nice, it was a nice strike. It was nice. It was okay. And then there was a similar one in the second half, early second half, just to, you know, I may as well shoot from here again. This was actually very <laughs> similar to the Dortmund game. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Dortmund had, I think, two shots from about, from a combined yardage of about 70 yards, which were their first two shots on target. Even Perisic opened scoring with a lovely goal, actually. Oh my goodness. That's a Chalanoglu's corner and just a nice controlled side foot volley into the, into the. It was like corner. potting. It was like, it was like um, playing pool and just potting it like through a crowd of like balls around it, wasn't it? Great technique. Inter didn't look really in any trouble at all. No, they're breaking ground pretty well. They were, yeah, yeah. They were really like forcing the issue for the second goal. But then Olivier took over for he four did. minutes. <laughs> Rhino Hanlon, <laughs> formerly of the ringer, now at ESPN. He said, if there was a Ballon d'Or awarded for the four minutes on February the 5th, 2022, Olivier Giroud would be the unanimous winner. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. He would. He would. Do you want to talk about Olivier Giroud? Yeah. Let's talk, about, well, the, about, let's this, talk about the two goals. Two very different finishes. The two most different finishes you can imagine. So the first one was very much a kind of Marcelo Salas, Garolinica type finish. The most advanced, and that's a very tough goal because we just talked in the previous game, um, the AFCON final about Senegal's challenges crashing the box and then cross your man. Giroud's run here was brilliant because there were, I think, three Milan players going for it and he was the steepest of them. He arrived the latest. After and, winning the ball back to start the move. And, even though he arrived so late, there was no real question he was offside, right? And that was remarkable in itself, the movement to get on the end of that. He absolutely um, flattened Alexi Sanchez. <laughs> which Alexi is, Sanchez which, was just like, <laughs> it just bounced off him. Right? At Giroud's first it looked like a really, yeah, yeah. really bad foul. It was just like, oh, this is definitely going to be called out, like called back. And then on the replay, it showed that actually Drew got the ball. Yeah. Just flat. That was a, that was a a superb, um, a superb piece of anticipation for that goal. Then four minutes later, second goal reminded me of like a Christian Vieri, actually. The turn that he pulls off where the body position is there. See, there's one that um, Vieri does. He's playing for Inter against Palmer. Tiram's actually on his back and the similar movement here. Fullback drives the ball into Giroud's feet. 
And at the point where he gets it, it's so clever because the, the key to this turn is not just the touch, it's the disguise. It's the body mm. weight. He's throwing his body weight as if he's going to cut diagonally to the far post and maybe take it and cut it back on his right foot. And he pivots and cuts it back Sticks on the, the left. Sticks the freeze on skates. Absolutely. And the, the genius of the, the speed of the pivot, Handanovich doesn't get down quickly to it because his feet are wrong. People look at that and go, oh, like his hand is bad. Well, the reason it catches him is because he's wrong-footed. He's so waiting the, the way, yeah. Yeah, by the, yeah, exactly. By the time Giroud gets the ball off, he's not going down. It was actually mm. rather similar to the things you mentioned about the penalty shootout, the Man United mm. Middlesbrough, yeah. where they weren't moving well. Like if the first step is wrong, it's very difficult to recover. Quite often with penalties, you see the ball go in like a couple of inches from the goalkeeper's foot. You're like, how did that get there? Well, because he didn't get down. Mm. Um, so he turns, places it in the corner and then runs away. And the celebration is, is a celebration of such a, I was going to say, you, you so look, it's a, I was going to say, yeah. to be a good goalkeeper, you've got to be funky. You've got to be funky, exactly. You've got to get down, man. You've got to get, get down. down. <laughs> 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 I love this. I love this. Funky goalkeepers. Which is funny because Mike Magnon in the um, Milan goal was Thank funky. Thank you. Finish talking about Handanovic and then we, we, we can talk about no, Mike Magnon. To that point, about, about that point about like being funky and getting down, like the deflected strike you look at the contrast there in terms of the footwork mm. and, you know, Andre Onana is replacing Handanovic or coming in. Um, he's been signed for Inter, so he's coming in um, having left Ajax and been out for a year, unfortunately, testing positive for substances, um, for bad substances. A med, no, it was a, it was, yeah, but it was a, a medical, medicine. yeah, a medical, yeah, okay, a medical, so that, that story is hard. Anyway, that yeah, story is heartbreaking horrible. actually. Yeah. Check it out. Sid Lowe wrote a great piece on that. So check it out. Mm. Well, he writes a great piece on everything, but yeah. Um, but the change of direction on the deflected strike. So Mainon is falling to his right and gets back across with his is it left hand to save. Yeah. Unreal. As unreal, like some of the goalkeeping we've seen this weekend alone. Uh, but that was maybe, that was maybe, uh, just behind Gabaski because of his penalty, it was a big game. That was just behind Gabaski, I would say, as the save of the weekend. He made some amazing things. My favourite bit of this entire game, apart from obviously the Giroud second goal, which was just so great. When, when Giroud sticks his tongue out, you know he's like, I did good. I did good, Yeah, right? yeah. He's in his bag. Magnon came charging out of his box, <laughs> pulled off, and um, like he flew in on Chalamoglu. And it was just like, mm. if you miss time this, you're gone. Made this amazing tackle, gets up, has like two more interplayers around him and does that thing like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo always does it where he does the kind of like the cut behind his standing leg. Yeah, the chop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does that. He chops it behind his back leg on the edge of his own box, surrounded Amazing. by interplayers, throws himself <laughs> down for a foul, doesn't get it, gets up and charges back in. But I was just like, feeling it. take my money. Money Mike. I'm going to call him Money Mike like because he needs to take all of my money because <laughs> yes. I want to see this all of the time. Money Mike Manion. <laughs> that, is, that is a guy who can That's get down. Name. That is you a guy who can get down. What I love when he, when he comes off the... <laughs> He's going to get a jacket with that on. He'll have a jacket. Hey, maybe he can borrow Julian Nagelsmann's and we'll just pick a, put a couple more M's on there. Money Mike Magnon is genius. Just, Do you know what I love about that? That's it. Mm. <laughs> Money Mike Magnon. Mm. <laughs> the thing about when he comes off the line like that is the commitment. What's a silly podcast? Come on, we, yeah, we could do with a bit of silly talking of silly. Barca Atleti, we'll get to that. But on silly season, well, first one, Manion coming off the line like that. I love to see the commitment to it. It was risky, mm. right? But mm. the moment he, the reason, I mean, it, it was, it could have been ropey. Actually, he meant he ended up saving the ball back on his own line. But the commitment to the bit, 
is what you have to respect there. Bonjiru, just to kind of round off that point that I was making about him, um, is that he's funny because he was a player who was seen as someone that couldn't score huge goals, but was part of a team that could achieve huge things. And it's funny because since that World Cup final, it's almost like he's been on a personal journey to score particularly important goals. The Derby, Europa League final, someone go big in the Champions League, like, you know, the group stages, get that quartet against Sevilla. Like, it's almost like Giroud's been like, okay, you know what? This is the highlight film. Because the signature performances this man's put in in the last, he's put in signature performances in the last couple of years of his career that most strikers don't get. Uh, on Mike Magnon, Money Mike, I think a testament to how good he's been this season was that James Horncastle wrote a really good piece for The Athletic about this derby. He said something which I absolutely agree with is that after losing Donnarumma, not once has there ever been any kind of like, oh, we missed Donnarumma, we missed Donnarumma. They haven't. Incredible. Unreal. I love it when a player gets the move they deserve. I love it. Yeah, man. Talking of players getting moves, uh, Nikola Kalinic had his contract terminated minutes after the final whistle for Hellas Verona so he could move to Hadrick Split. <laughs> I thought this was incredible. Uh, Hellas losing 2-0 to Juve. Debut goals for Dusan Vajovic and stadio favourite Denis Sakaria. Scary Juve. Oh my goodness. Do you know what? I think... They're a problem, Ryan. Like Verona have taken some points off people this season for sure, but I think that obviously they're, they're going to be sterner tests this season. Debut goals for Vajovic and Zakaria. Zakaria looks like the way that he can transform that Juve midfield there's a glue there that I think they haven't really had this season now. He offers a, a, such a different dimension to the other midfielders that they have at Juve, I think. Like Zakaria, because of his injury problems and associated form problems and Gladbach being poor, he went underpriced to Juve. He, he went really underpriced. Did, yeah. They got him for good value and you look at him now in that team. Yikes. It's only one game, but Juventus are back. And they're back. Oh, uh, I'm calling it. I'm calling it. Sorry for I'm, I know. I know. I, do, I like my hot takes, but <sighs> two great goals, by the way, that the, uh, Vlaovic and Zacharias. Uh, Vlaovic was really like. I really love goals like that. Gorgeous, gorgeous finish. Dybala with a pass that's reminiscent of Raquel May, and the finish and Vlaovic outside of the left foot was gorgeous. The one thing I will say about the second goal, I love it. Maratha did such great build-up work, mm. and Zacharias finishing. It was funny because Maratha was trying to get the return pass. And then, <laughs> I know he was excited. It was his first goal for Juve and everything in his first game. But like, it was a bit naughty because he did not celebrate with Murata. So Murata was there going like, oh, look at my really nice assist because no one else was giving him props for it. Oh, talking <laughs> about really nice assist. Viv Miedemers for Black Stenius this weekend. <sighs> Good grief. Was Ian was talking, Ian was like, oh yeah, she's playing a bit deep. Then he was like, oh goodness. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> uh, the end of Roma Genoa on Saturday was very entertaining as a neutral. Zaniolo with an unbelievable goal to win it. And the celebrations were wild. He's off, he's off behind the hoardings all the way up to the crowd. The shirt's off. Everyone's going absolutely wild. He comes back, he gets booked. Oh no. VAR check. What's happened? Tammy stepped on someone's foot. And Tammy, disgusted by the goal being overturned, turns around and does the... <laughs> the hands. He was, he was hand gestured all the way over. And then Mourinho had been on the pitch, had to drag Tammy away. He got booked for it. Uh, Tammy, that is. And then Zaniolo chats some shit to the referee and gets a straight red. It wasn't a second yellow. He gets showed a straight red. So he must have Amazing. said something. 
really off key because even like some of the genera, uh, genera players were just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like <laughs> very entertaining end to the game. And it was a shame because it was a really nice goal. Let's go to Spain. Let's talk about yes. Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, because this was an unbelievable game of football. It was so fun. This is the game I enjoyed the most this year. I know it's only like a few weeks into the year. I'll be hard pressed to find a game that was more joyful from the opening seconds mm. to the point where I actually went on Twitter and I was just like, oh my God, this game, if you're not watching it, please tune in if you're free. You have to. It, is, it felt like when you're going to like a music festival, right? First time you're at Glastonbury, and you're looking around and there's like a load of different bands on. And then you just see one band that's absolutely in the groove. And they're so good that you start yelling at everyone going like, hang on a minute, like this band mm-hmm. is tearing it up. This band is tearing it up. This was the equivalent of like, I don't know, Mars Volta at Lollapalooza or whatever. This was like one of those moments. Oh, see, I slightly disagree there because I think the thing that made this game so entertaining was that both sides were so flawed. Sometimes you see really fun games with like two teams that are like really not very good, but they're mm. a fun game with this one they're obviously good sides but they're not the best sides around at the moment this wasn't vintage of either but you got glimpses of both just this is enough, the thing, yeah, so this just is what enough I feel, of I feel the like old magic but it still wasn't yeah. of like the optimal I the don't know I, I, I felt like Barcelona at their peak in this game could have hurt a very good team and what I mean by that is see the way that Gavi like Gavi is this kind of I don't think he'll permanently play as a winger um, because I think he moves inside when Busquets, you know, gets older and you saw Busquets, he did some very good things in this game, but there's a few passes I saw him play where I'm like, Pete Busquets doesn't play those passes. Mm. There's a pass he plays to Frankie De Jong in the second half, which is basically a hospital pass where he basically like weights it badly. So De Jong has to stretch for it. And he, do- he plays two of those passes in the space of like three minutes. And I'm like, yeah, Pete Busquets doesn't do that. Mm. And the thing about Busquets is, you know, physically he's been declined for a while. We know that he's never been the biggest athlete, but when Busquets' weight of passes off, then you're like, okay, now, this is a problem, which is actually a good reason why I'd encourage Frankie Dion to hang around. Because that transition to a Dion Gavi Pedri midfield, slightly lightweight as it might be, may not be that long a long, long way. Um, and the reason why I found this game so exciting, I would say, is because certainly in the first 25 minutes, half hour for Barcelona, maybe even the first, actually, no, let's be honest, generous, the first half for Barcelona, the majority of players on that pitch for them were in absolutely the roles they were happiest in. Mm. Like they were really, really, really happy. Pedri was understated, progressing the ball well. Quickly <clears> on <throat> that though, I think there was a really interesting thing that him and Gavi mm. did where they would sometimes, one of them would occupy the false nine role, like especially in a defensive shape. It's, I think in, especially in the second half, there was a couple of times, there were a couple yep. of times where Pedri was central and like the mm. highest player at the pitch and he won the ball back a couple of times. I thought that, that, in, that kind of like alteration where him and Gavi can drift a little bit more. Yes. And you have almost like... It, they can both go inside and out, yeah. Yeah, and then you almost have kind of like De Jong and, and Busquets as, as a kind of a, like a semi-double pivot. Yes. Um, gives Barca options. And I think that's with and all Frank the signings. And Frankie De Jong is quite, like, quite self-sacrificial in that sense. Like, yeah, Because totally. he's maybe he's the, one, he's the most... Yeah. yeah. Um, this game, so just to quickly recap, we won't go on too long, but... Um, what was striking about this was, so he had Adama Traore obviously starting on the right. And it was very much the kind of, if there was any kind of fixed point, he was the fixed point. Like he was very much the most rigid in the best sense of all the Barcelona players. He was clearly told to occupy the right high up the pitch and just go at Hermoso, who is more of a centre-back than a full-back really. But he yeah, basically like- Hermoso didn't have a good time. <laughs> oh, it was a terrible time. It was 
absolute mismatch. The first touch that Adama gets, he wins a free kick. His final ball was excellent as well. But what was really striking wasn't just the final ball. It was the fact that he's already combining so well with Danny Alves, like the understanding with Alves. And someone said it best, like, oh my goodness, we'll have to replace Danny Alves twice. There's really no one else that offers what he does. Few, few interesting things about Danny Alves. I mean, we're not even talked about the goals. Like Jordi, Jordi Albert scored an unbelievable goal. It was so beautiful. It was wild, actually. Such a unicorn because, goal. You don't really see goals like that that often. Because it was also, it was a unicorn goal because, so just to sort of set the tone, Danny Alves gets out on the right flank and picks him out. And he's, mm. a, he's a sort of level with the penalty spot out on the left, inside the area, but like left penalty spot and to the left of the goal. So he's quite far out. And the way he, he knocks it up is like, it's almost like he, he's inviting Alba to hit the volley. The way that he sort of stands it up like that, like he stands it up, like he's in, yeah. invited. And Alba- It's a real like toss up, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, yeah, it's, hit it. yeah. it's an alley-oop. And he does that. The thing is, he hits this volley with so much force that it beats Oblak. Oblak has no chance. And there's almost a moment of shock. Like I was expecting like some kind of VAR review because the crowd goes like almost, there's almost like a momentary hush when everyone's like, have we just seen something that we could have seen conceivably 10 years ago mm. from these two players? How, have we actually just seen that? Mm. And then Alba runs off and was like doing a kind of celebration going like, you know, almost like everyone's been talking about me, like being finished, you were wrong. And I can see, I can understand the frustration at Alba because he's had a difficult few games in terms of form, but also like, I get his frustration too, because he's also going like, I'm capable of this. You know, you talked about the weakness of Barca very quickly. We'll get into that. Like, they were weak on both flanks, actually, in the opening minutes. Like, the amount of time that Joao Felix had pulling out to the left, where mm -hmm. he was just in so much space constantly, in the most, and we know that's where he's dangerous, that kind of inside left role. We know that he likes to hurt people there. He was given all that room. And then, like, for Jordi Alba to score that goal and to end up as the official king of the match, as they say in Spain, to end up as king of the match, the journey that he went on, you know, he got exposed for that opening goal, frankly, in a way that like a junior left back doesn't get exposed. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was so, so he, he kind of showed both, both yeah. faces in this match in the, in the first 20 minutes, really, if that makes sense. Jordi Alba is like the Harvey Dent of left backs. <laughs> he just really is. <laughs> yeah, Danny Alves was on a journey. He became the first player, I think, since at the, Opta said since at least the 2004 or 5 season, which I believe is probably when they started recalling this all of this data. Mm. So he became the first player to score, assist, and be sent off in a single La Liga game. <laughs> it's incredible. He also became Barcelona's <laughs> oldest goal scorer in, a, in an official match after becoming their oldest player in an official match on his return earlier in January. Um, yeah, he was kind of, he was on a journey, man. And also just the way that he was playing in that first half, I was kind of like, um, I was like, I'm, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's like, I, I, is, is, are we doing this thing here where we're playing like the inverted fullbacks with the ball? No, because Dalva's not doing that. Okay. Araujo is kind of pulled out to the right back position and PK. So it kind of looks like a bit of a back three and Alves has moved. Yes. Like, yes. I, yes. I kind of get that yeah. with the ball. But then all of a sudden he went full Meza Ozil and was like up the pitch. And I was like, what are you doing? That's playing PK's all seven, position, playing all seven positions. Yeah. But then there was a moment where Barcelona still had possession. Right. And it was almost as though Danny Alves realised where on the pitch he was because he just pegs it back to the right back position. <laughs> It was really, really quite funny. He was a little bit more positionally rigid, I think, in the second half. 
It had to be because of what the pressure that Aleti brought. Aleti yeah. found themselves. And then uh, obviously got the red, which was definitely a red. Oh my goodness. No yeah, that was a terrible foul. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and it came, came at precisely the wrong time for Barca because Aleti really played their the way back into it. Luis Suarez got um, a goal, a muted celebration. He got a nice, actually, he got a nice bit of applause when he came on, actually. That's quite nice. Adama Torre went off after an hour and was my man of the match, actually. He was my man. Like, he went off after an hour and it was so devastating that I thought he was, I thought he was superb. Obviously, it's his first game. Aubameyang came on and it was a bit of a shame because Aubameyang came on and the shape changed. If, <laughs> if, if the, the shape game had descended been, into chaos as yeah, well. <laughs> if it had been a straight swap for Ferran Torres, actually, it would have been the perfect shape for Aubameyang in that configuration. I think we will see mm -hmm. that at some point. What I would say with this was, I'd be very nervous as a kind of wide forward for Barca now because we've seen what this front three can do. Obviously, they'll face stiffer tests than this, but they combined really, really well. They did the they classic did thing. Of this. <clears throat> a really good front three does one thing. I've said this before. They stay out of each other's way. Mm. And Gavi, Torres, and Adama Torre, just one configuration, but it's a really nice blend. I was yeah, saying this about- the, the, thing, the thing is that Barcelona have had, have, just haven't had the, the options to deal with certain problems this season. And the one thing that these signings do give them, whether they're long-term or not, it doesn't really matter at the moment. They, Barcelona need to qualify for the Champions League. They need to, yes. they need to, they, 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 that is absolutely imperative that they qualify for the Champions League. Mm. So. And that's on the cards now. That's absolutely that on, the on the cards. They're now, in, they're now fourth. Yeah. And that's the good thing about this. Sometimes, like I wrote a thing, I'm not sure if it's going to go up, but I wrote it in there, like, you know, sometimes like a win like this can just be enjoyed as a win it doesn't tell us anything we didn't already know about Atleti we know that this Atleti has got a soft it's, it's got an even softer underbelly than the Atleti that beat Barcelona at the Wanda yes first time they've conceded four goals in La Liga in a decade since the, the last time they conceded four against Barcelona at Camp Nou but that's not going to bother Simeone I don't think because it's not it doesn't tell him that does, he doesn't need a stat like that to tell him that Atleti are struggling absolutely yeah and yeah. for Barca at the same time like this doesn't have to symbolise this the birth of this great new Barca dawn because I don't think it is because the side's going to look very, very different next season, but it doesn't really matter at the moment. There were some great like new pieces involved and they all did pretty well. It was, it's really nice. I must say it was really nice for signings to come in, obviously for Adama just to have a good, he said he had a good start because we saw mm. Sancho come into United. It's underrated how important it is to get off to good starts. Yeah, it is. You know, yeah. San, it buys look, you look, more look, time look, as well. Even if you yeah. have, even if you kind of like level out a little bit, it's just good to, it's good to. And Zachary as well and Vlajevic, you know, they paid a lot of money for Vlajevic. So to get that goal in the first, what, like 15 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, just it just people it just, up for a bit. Yeah, yeah just Pete, you belong. Mm -hmm. So yeah, shout out to them. I'm really, really happy um, for those players that arrived and like got straight to work. And for Atleti, yeah. Um, yeah. Elsewhere, Real Madrid beating Granada 1-0. Without a load the, of key, key players. The big result though is the Osasuna Sevilla. That's a horrible result because they had a last minute penalty there and Rakitic of all people had it saved. Rakitic who has mm -hmm. been so good from the spot. And if Sevilla get that, then, then Real go into that game, I think only two points ahead. They would have just been a point ahead. A point ahead, right. So that was a pivotal, mm. that felt like a pivotal moment. I was actually, uh, when I wrote about the, um, the Sadio Mane penalty save, the Sadio save by Gabaski. I said this was like a pivotal moment. It felt like one, luckily it wasn't. And, and Sid Lowe wrote on Twitter, he said, um, this feels like the Rakitic penalty miss against Osasuna. Mm. It feels like that in the league because the thing about Real is you give them a sniff and they're gone again. 
Mm. I just I just worry if they've pulled clear again, Ryan. Betis losing at home to Villarreal as well. So good weekend for Real Madrid. Um, super quick, Liga, uh, Marseille yes. beating Angers five two on Friday night, and Nice losing at home to Clermont Foot, who have kind of upset a couple of people over the last season yes, a little bit. We have. Meant the OM are now ahead of Nice in the table. They climbed to second. PSG escaped some Ben Arfa brilliance. Yes, to see off Lille five one. Um, Messi with only his second goal in Liga. Yeah. Bundesliga time. It was a really good game between Bayern and Leipzig on Saturday night. Ended 3-2 Bayern. We're going to skip the Bundesliga stuff this week because we're running short for time. But um, yeah. these games are always really good, Bayern-Leipzig, over the last couple of years. And it's good to see that Tedesco has kind of got them clicking again. They're looking a lot more solid, if that makes sense, even though they've just conceded three goals to Bayern. But they look a little bit more competitive, I think, under Tedesco. I agree, yeah. yeah. Borussia Dortmund lost 5-2 at home to buy Leverkusen on Sunday and were not very good. I'm not going to lie. Leverkusen were good, I thought, but they were just it was just too easy for them. Way too easy. They were dreadful, um, Dortmund. They were dreadful. Yeah, they were right. not good at all. Um, good to see Gio Reyna back, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was one positive, but that was a good, great result for Leverkusen. Freiburg lost to Köln, and Freiburg's form is a bit concerning, but great thing about this game was seeing Stefan Baumgart managing the game from home. Uh, on the phone shouting his dog jumping on his back all of this kind of stuff if you haven't seen it check Archie Rintut's thread about it it's really funny very quickly shout out to China winning the AFC um, Women's Asian Cup coming back against Korea Republic from 2-0 down in the last 15 minutes Mm. this game was unreal like uh, shout out so there was a really good um, live stream of this so YouTube did a live stream of that and just the comeback like Korea Republic looked imperious for most of the game, uh, GC on obviously in the mix and doing wonderful things. But this, this the last minute winner was, it was unreal because Korea Republic like have a, they have a sitter like eight yards out mm. and just get like, it was one of those chances where, you know, anywhere but ham- straight at the keeper. I mean, it's still a great save the keeper pulls off, parries it away from my face, but like anywhere either side and it's in and that's like an injury time winner for Korea Republic. China got the other end and they take it. And there was no time to kind of get a goal back and that was it. And it was a huge, huge moment. Um, just like, it's the cracking game really. And it was funny because this weekend was full of so many outstanding games of football. And I think you said this actually in your piece um, you were working on, you were like, uh, the Barca Atleti, it was almost like the football gods sent us this game. Yeah, and they I knew our faith so- was being tested after all of the horrible shit that's been going on. And if you think of this week, this weekend, I suppose the last thing I'd add, the thing I'd shout out, let me just shout out this weekend's football because it delivered all the vitamins. Like I did nothing this football, but I did nothing this football. I did nothing this weekend, but watch football. And yet I derived purest Thunderbar. from it. Yeah. And the, the, I didn't even talk about the fight with Bundesliga because we didn't have time, but can everyone just go and watch all the highlights from the weekend and make your own decisions? <laughs> because I will, I will not push how good this league is anymore. <laughs> if you're not watching this fight at Bundesliga, I, I can't, you know, can't help you. Then I'll help, help you yeah. anymore. You, know, you can lead a horse to water, etc. Exactly. You cannot make it watch the Spider Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, to, 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 to paraphrase Pep, the Spider Bundesliga, we cannot replace it. We cannot replace we can't, it. We can't replace it. It's the best. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Should we get out of here? Let's do it. Uh, we hope everyone's staying safe and well getting vaccinated if you can obviously getting that booster if you can uh, don't forget to check Wright's house on Wednesday Stanley will be back on Thursday 
Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Check stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in. February's newsletter is on its way. That'll be going out this week. Stadio Atros players on Spotify. Speaking of which, we have to play out on something Senegalese. Yes. So we're playing out on numero uh, de numero uh. Gajira Van. Anything you want to add, Ms. Mokwonga? Nothing further, Your Honor. Lovely. All right, much love, everyone. Stay safe, stay well. We'll be back on Thursday. This one goes out to Senegal. Peace, love, and Senegal. <laughs> wow.